on this episode of Progressive Polacro, I discuss Asia's Omega, Triple X, and Gravitas. a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this last uh, palaver for one episode, I'm going to finish up the Asia catalog with the last three offerings, Omega, Triple X, and Gravitas. Okay, so welcome back everybody. We are here to finish up the last of this Palaver for One series. And uh, we're going to to uh, close out the Asia catalog here with the last three offerings that they did. So for those of you who have been following along as I've been doing this, um, I was going through this pretty quickly. And the when I recorded the last episode in this series, I had planned to move very quickly on to this episode and some things just kind of, uh, you know, conspired to make that not the case. And, you know, it turns out that's really, really a good thing because I really think I've benefited from the extra time that I've gotten to spend with, with these three albums, Omega especially. I think would have been a, a different sort of review or consideration than you're going to get here. But um, let's get into let's get into the particulars of the three albums in question, and then um, you know I'll I'll share my thoughts, and we can then get into the, uh, the 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 track listing, if you will, for the three albums. So Omega was released in April 2010. It was produced by Mike Paxman, released on the label Frontiers, featuring, you know, here again, John Wetton on vocals and bass guitar, Steve Howe on electric, acoustic, and steel guitars, Downs on keyboards, and Carl Palmer on drums and percussion. The track listing is Finger on the Trigger, Through My Veins, Holy War, Ever Yours, Listen Children, End of the World, Light the Way, Emily, I'm still the same. There was a time, I believe, and don't want to lose you now. Omega is the 11th studio album by the British rock band Asia, released on 21st April 2010 in Japan by Melodious Frontier, and on 23rd April 2010 in Europe by Frontier Records. It was the fourth studio recording with the original lineup and second after after the reunion in 2006. Triple X was released in June of 2012, also produced by Michael Paxman, and also released on the label Frontiers, featuring the same lineup, John Wetton, Steve Howe, Jeff Downs, and Carl Palmer. Track listing was Tomorrow the World, Bury Me in Willow, No Religion, Faithful, I Know How You Feel, Face on the Bridge, Algato Nero, Judas, and Ghost of a Chance. 
Triple X is the 12th studio album by British rock band Asia, released in 2012. It is the fifth and last studio recording with the original lineup as guitarist Steve Howe left the group the following year and vocalist bassist John Wetton died in 2017. Triple X was released on CD, special edition CD, DVD, video, featuring bonus tracks, new music videos, and the making of the album, and LP. To promote the album, Face the Bridge was made available as a digital download single and music video on 14 May 2012. And then finally we have Gravitas, released in March of 2014. Producers are John Wetton and Jeff Downs. Label again is Frontiers. Band lineup now is John Wetton, vocals and bass guitar, Sam Coulson, on guitars, Jeff Downs on keyboards, and Carl Palmer on drums and percussion. The track listing is Valkyrie, Gravitas, including Lento and Gravitas, The Closer I Get to You, Nyctophobia, Russian Dolls, Heaven Help Me Now, including Wings of Angels, Prelude, and Heaven Help Me Now, I Would Die for You, Joe DiMaggio's Glove, and Till We Meet Again. Gravitas is the 13th studio album by the British rock band Asia, released in 2014. It is the group's last studio recording with vocalist bassist John Wetton, who died in 2017, and the first to feature their new guitarist, Sam Coulson, who replaced Steve Howe in January 2013. Gravitas was released on CD, Deluxe Edition CD-slash-DVD video, featuring bonus tracks, the Valkyrie music video, the making of the album, and three tracks recorded live with a full symphonic orchestra in Bulgaria and LP. A music video for Valkyrie was shot in January 2014 in Los Angeles. Now, reading that, I really wish that I had the super duper deluxe um, versions of Gravitas and Triple X because I would love, love, love to have those making of videos. That would be really, really great. I very much enjoyed <clears throat> the one that was attached to the Silent Nation. And um, just in general, there was one that there's a making of the latter that is attached to the House of Yes DVD. And I just, I really, I find that to be quite enjoyable. So I like, uh, I like to be able to um, to see those sorts of things, so that's cool. Now, at the end of the last episode, I was on sort of a, a super duper high after going through Phoenix because with the return of the original lineup, and there seemed to be sort of a an attempt to move forward and revisit the past sort of all at the same time. And my impressions of that was that they, they being Asia, were able to, to do that very, very well. And there was a lot to be excited about on that album. And as you will also recall, I had not heard these albums at that time. I literally hadn't, I had purchased them and I hadn't even listened to them at all when I recorded that episode. So my entire experience with these records comes after the end of the last episode. And 
Wow, you want to talk surprising. I thought I was getting one thing, and what I got was decidedly different. And I don't know if I had recorded that episode when I had originally planned, if I really would have appreciated these albums as much as I do now. So it was fortuitous that the fates conspired against me recording that episode too quickly. Because again, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll never ever forget, I finished recording the previous episode and I, I laid down to go to sleep that night and I, I couldn't I couldn't wait anymore. So I put on my headphones and I dialed up Omega. And having no idea what I was going to find, you can imagine my surprise when I heard Finger on the Trigger. And honestly, it was so far away from what I was anticipating. I was totally confused. Um, had no idea what the heck was going on. I don't remember hearing anything else that night. Um, I was just, I was stunned. And I got up the next day, I had some errands to run, and so I'm like, well, I gotta get into this. So I, I put on Omega in the car as I was driving around. And, you know, there again, finger on the trigger, just, it, it confused me. I... I I couldn't figure out what this was. And, you know, and there are some other parts to this record, um, you know, that at first listen, it's, you're just like, what? what is going on with this record? This is not at all what I was expecting. And so for the better part of a day, day and a half, maybe two days, I was really, really concerned. I'm like, what? What am I going to be able to talk about, you know, with this with this album? And and maybe this is why I'd never heard this album before. I mean, I'd heard of Triple X, but honestly, I I I don't even know that I was aware of, of Omega, certainly not at the time. And you know, little by little though, um, you know, things started to pop out at me. And I think I've made the comment before that the, the best albums are those albums where that happens. And maybe you don't even like them at first. Um, you know, they're not your favorite. It's not like you immediately get into it. But it's, it's those albums that you literally have to maybe spend some time with and, and figure out a little bit that seem to give me a you know the longer lasting satisfaction and that's what we have here very similar experience with triple x um you know i think i listened through omega once and then moved on to triple x and you know there, there's a certain amount of similarities between these two records and but by the time I got to Gravitas, I had sort of, you know, figured out, if you will, what we were dealing with here. And I have to say that, you know, these three albums were just a phenomenal way for 
you know, the, the, the second chapter of the John Wedden in Asia story to end. I, as much as I liked Phoenix, and as, as perhaps, I don't know if scared is the right word, concerned, uh, I was when I first heard Omega, which I just, I didn't understand it. Now I am just absolutely in love with these three albums. These albums are really, really, really very good. Um, extraordinarily strong. And they're, they're strong in ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And I think, you know, when I've been working recently on editing our 90125 episode, which incidentally will come out after this. And Paul makes mention in that episode of, you know, what, what the original Asia were trying to do, which was to create, you know, radio friendly songs with all of the prog credibility to them. And he argued that 90125 ended up doing the same thing. And I think that's what we have here. There, this, these albums are very progressive in the sense that they do things that you wouldn't expect. And while the, you know, it's not like they have the super duper long form songs of, of yes or anything like that or, or Genesis, but, but they go in places that you wouldn't expect. And they demonstrate, you know, one of the, the required hallmarks of progressive music, which is, is great musicianship. So, like I said, I, I just, I came away from this exercise just absolutely stunned. And I don't know if sad's the right word that I've, I've gone all these years and, and hadn't listened to these records because these are really, really enjoyable. And, um, there's, there's just, there's a lot here to really sort of sink your teeth into. And it's one of those things where, again, I think these three albums, the more I listen to them, that I hear different things. I like different parts than I did the last time I listened to it. And uh, just absolutely, absolutely love it. And so, you know, this was, this was an unexpected surprise. And this whole exercise, and I'm very glad I did it because I was able to sort of examine the the John Payne records in depth, which I intended to do, and I'm you know, I I learned more about those records than I thought I knew. I still like them as much, if not more, than when I started, and I got to explore this this back half of the catalog that I didn't know at all, and it was oh you know th this is this is why we do these sorts of things because you can you can learn something new, you can discover something that you hadn't hadn't known before. So let's talk quickly about the artwork for these records. All three covers done by Roger Dean, absolutely spectacular uh, in the way they look. Now, Omega is very stark. Omega features in various aspects, and I'm not quite sure what the quote-unquote official um, 
cover was because there, there, there are actually two that are sort of represented in the package that I have, but, but they, they both operate or, or focus around the white tiger. And apparently 2010 in the, the Chinese calendar was the year of the tiger. And that's why Roger wanted to do that. And, you know, tiger is a little bit different from what Roger usually works with, but you know, here again, he was able to create some really, um, you know, stunning graphics in terms of one of the one of the pictures incorporates a uh, a full omega, and then there's a you know there's a tiger involved, and then there's at some point there's something with like eyes that are sort of separated from everything else, sort of on these uh, these gracefully curved stalks, if you will, and I saw a picture of John Wetton from i think it maybe was actually in the the album the cd booklet itself and john has a white base and on sort of the upper curve of the body is this eye and so i can only imagine what the rest of that base must have looked like it must have been very very cool and then triple x and gravitas both feature uh roger dean dragons very very cool um, you know, and Roger Dean, again, is able to sort of update and incorporate, you know, the Asia logo just absolutely perfectly. So, you know, these, these three albums have a, a very, very sort of coherent and solid look about them. Certainly Triple X and, and Gravitas um, very, very close to each other. Gravitas is, has a different color palette than maybe we're used to seeing. It's, it's a, it's a much softer sort of green and the, and the colors in general, they're, they're still vibrant, but they're not quite as, as stark maybe as they usually are. And I don't have the, the right language here, but you know, here again, you've got three absolutely spectacular Roger Dean covers. So that always adds to the enjoyment. Now let's talk about Omega. So I mentioned my first interaction with finger on the trigger and how I was just like, what is this? And I, you know, my notes here, it says, you know, talk about unexpected. So here you have a riffy Steve Howe. Um, and just you would never ever expect to hear Steve Howe playing this, and I, I I had a hard time with this song, and I was happy when I went and did a little bit of research and found out that this was this was a song written by by John and Jeff originally for their Icon project, and it was like ah okay, I get it now. The fact that Steve played it that way, I think speaks you know volumes to you know how far steve had come and everything else and you know when you look at at steve's you know second full-time tenure in the band here through phoenix omega and triple x he clearly seemed to develop a a steve howe asia persona here in the in the original 
recordings. You know, he was somewhat different, but they were, you know, they were, they were obviously much, it was much closer to his yes persona at the time. And in fact, you know, there's, there's that one track on the first record where he lifts wholesale the intro from, from drama. And so, but, but here he's now settled into something a little bit different. So we've got this, this riffy Steve Howe, but it, you know, this song has tremendous energy throughout it and just a, a blistering, blistering vocal line, which actually brings up another aspect of these, these three albums. You know, John Wetton is a man who has learned how to use his, his vocal instrument at this point. And I've always loved John Wetton's voice. But again, when we were talking about Asia and Astra and maybe even some of the stuff on Then and Now, he would get into places where he would sing vocal lines that weren't particularly suited to him. And it, it took away some of the, the, the beauty of John's voice. In my experience with with these three albums here, what you have is someone who knows where he should be singing and where he shouldn't, but it's not like it's all the same either because he's able to sort of, you know, there are times when he gets kind of gravelly and aggressive and there are times when he, he's, he's smooth as, as butter. So, you know, he, he's able to do all of the things he needs to do in the areas he needs to do them. And so the, the blistering vocal line that you get right out of the gate um, in Finger on the Trigger really kind of, you know, sets the tone. And, and again, this is a totally different Asia song. It's, it's a, a lot, a lot more straightforward than I certainly was expecting. But it's also one of those things where once you sort of, once I got my brain around it, I found myself very much enjoying this uh, this record so that was great uh, unexpected but but great so through my veins you know here again the and, and there's just, there's just fun stuff here so you got the 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 guitar tone in this record is completely unexpected but it is stellar and You've got great lyrics in this out in this song. Um, I, you know, it's one of those things where I think when John Wetton is able to convey a message, he is able to do it extraordinarily effectively. And this is one of those times I find the lyrics here to be really, really quite moving, and. This is interesting because as much as I think I've always liked John Wetton and there's still some stuff from early in his career that I am working to sort of familiarize myself with. It's not often, you know, it, John Wetton is a singer I like who happens to play bass. And, you know, throughout Asia's career, whether it was John Wetton or John Payne, the, the bass isn't generally something that you 
maybe pay attention to. Now, a lot of this sort of comes from, you know, dealing with the other, you know, classics of, of Prague. You know, when you talk about Yes and Genesis and even, even Pink Floyd to a certain degree, um, you know, there's, there's some notoriety around the base that Asia has never had. And now all of a sudden with Through My Veins, the baseline is noteworthy. And you're like, cool. All right. Yeah, I can totally get into that. So that is, you know, that was a little bit unexpected. Then we move into Holy War. Now, this song just kicks ass. And, you know, credits for, you know, one of these history um, biopic sort of things where we're talking about the, uh, the, the Crusades and, you know, massive kudos to the fact that, that John Wetton sings the word trebuchet. It's not often that you find the word trebuchet in a song, but there it is. And then here again, we have John's voice absolutely in top form. Um, he is going after it on this song, and I'm totally, totally buying in. Now, the, the question that I have down here is, what guitar did Steve use on this? Now, when Steve records his solo albums, he's always, or at least in the beginning, and I think he always does, he, he's usually very, very conscientious about providing us with a chart so we can see which guitars he used on which track. And there are times when I wish that he would do that on band albums as well. But we didn't do that here, but there are at least three separate totally sweet sounds throughout this song. And I want to say that one of the things, one of the lyrics that, that sticks out at me for this is, and I think it's at the end of the chorus, it's what, it's what we're fighting for, but is it worth dying for? And I just, you know, something about that just sort of resonates with me. Then we have Ever Yours, and I'm not 100% certain if this is a straight-up love song, but the, he mentioned, mentions, uh, and I believe it's even subtitled, Semper Fidelis, which obviously is associated with the United States Marine Corps. So I'm not 100% certain about that. Um, I had a note here to check the meaning of the lyrics, and I don't know that I was able to do that. So if anyone has that information, um, it sounds like it's a straightforward love song, but not really sure about that. Listen, Children is very, very interesting, though. There's, and I... I haven't been, like I said, I haven't, you know, had all the time in the world with these records. And so there, there are some unanswered mysteries. And Listen, Children is one of those. It makes me think of something else. And it's something from The Dark Tower. And I want to say it's something from one of the last three books in the Dark Tower series. Specifically, I'm thinking about the audio version read by George Guidel, but I, I haven't had a chance to go back and figure out what that is. Um, I want to say that the character Susanna in 
in that story has or sings some sort of a song that has to do with children. I, 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 I don't remember. Just every time I hear this song, my, my brain just sort of starts firing uh, something about the Dark Tower. Don't know what it is. And I think it's funny that it feels like the Hooters. <laughs> um, you know, so, and that's the other thing about these three albums. So not only are they doing things that are sort of unexpected and moving in ways and places that you wouldn't, you wouldn't really look for them to, they also do this thing where periodically throughout these three records, they they channel some other band. And I don't know if it's sort of a happy accident or if it's on purpose or how that actually happens, but there are, there are a few instances where, and, and I'll call them out and not to say that, you know, they're, they're ripping someone off or they're unoriginal or whatever. But when I hear these songs, it makes me think of something else. And I, I, I pointed out only to provide some flavor maybe for, you know, where these records are going. And um, so speaking, most of the record, most of this song sounds like the Hooters, but the very, very end sounds like something off of Pink Floyd's The Final Cut, which is very, very interesting. So End of the World is another example of Steve Howe being um, very unexpected. So the intro to this song has that sort of, you know, classical buildup, if you will. It, it's very dramatic. And, um, you know, it leads into, you know, everything else. And it's just, you know, so it starts out with that. It ends up very classic Asia. And, you know, in between, Steve Howe is doing all of the wonderful things that, uh, that Steve Howe does. That moves us into Light the Way. And now, you know, one of the things that, that also another recurring theme in these albums is Fast Asia. For whatever reason, these guys want the, you know, they want the tempo to be rolling along. And this is one of those examples. It's very, very up-tempo. The verses, I think, are, ex are very pedestrian. There's nothing particularly earth-shattering about that. But the, the vocal line in the bridges is just, oh, God, absolutely love it. Another example of John Wetton sort of at the top of his game as a vocalist. And then now we come, now we come to sort of the, the keystone of this record for me. And that is the bonus track, Emily. I can't believe this is a bonus track. Talk about unexpected. Um, you know, this is not something. I want you, but there's nothing I can do. Now I know all you see, my invisibility. So just do this for me, and I beg you, beg you, please. So for my hand. Emily is extraordinarily unexpected. And the fact that it's a bonus track stuns me because I think it is clearly one of the best tracks on this album. It, it's got a calliope, show tune -y sort of, of, of beat and, and music to it that 
you know, where did that come from? I have absolutely no idea. But at the same time, the 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 baseline in this is just badass. So this is really, you know, this is this is John Wetton sort of flexing his muscle all of a sudden. And the keyboard sounds that that Jeff has throughout this are absolutely perfect. I don't know if if the the vocals are a true rhyming couplet setup, um, but but the rhyming scheme throughout here and the the cadence of the the vocal line absolutely phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. I just the first time I heard this song, I was like. What the hell is this goofy crap? And why are they doing it? And then it, it got to the point where I would literally just pull up this 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 um this album on my phone and just listen to Emily two or three times. Absolutely loved it. I love to sing this song. Um again the that that sort of that vocal melody and the, the structure of it is extraordinarily fun to sing once you sort of figure it out. Uh and even the, the verses with just the uh the Emily, it oh man, it's spectacular. And so I was all set to come on here and talk about how this, even though it's the bonus track, is the single greatest track on the record. And it's, it really illustrates the power and strength of Asia and, and everything else, which, you know, in a lot of ways is all true. And then, of course, I spent more time with, with the song, and suddenly I ran into a little bit of a roadblock. Now, this is where me doing these, these reviews or these palavers by myself causes a little bit of problem. Because one of the things that I've learned from doing this is that I can sometimes be somewhat myopic in my understanding and interpretation of song lyrics. And I find often that Paul is able to sort of course correct me into something that is more likely the case. And, and I, I hope that's that I'm missing something here because... <laughs> You know, the, the song is about this guy, you know, John is singing as, as a guy who is in love with this, this woman, Emily, and, you know, he just, he doesn't know what to do about it. it, it she just overwhelms everything in his brain and, and short circuits every, every circuit that he has. And he doesn't know what to do about it. Now, There's, there's a line late in the song where he finally figures out and at, you know, after making a fool of himself, he discovers or he finally realizes that Emily, quote unquote, bats for the other side. And maybe that's a very polite way to say that she's a lesbian, not into men, or... But there's an aspect of it that comes across as very machismo sour grapes. And so all of a sudden, my, my absolute adoration for this song was sort of thrown completely off the rails by the concern that, is it a completely insensitive and sexist song? I hope it's not. I really, really hope. 
Um, I, and I, I don't have any input here to, to steer me one way or the other. So what I'm left with is a song that musically I absolutely 100% adore. I cannot get enough of. From, you know, from, from the musical point of view, there's so much here to like. And it's so unexpected from this, this particular group. But it's so good. So, I, you know, I'm left with that and this you know this one line and and trying to sort of figure out what the overall intention was again i'm going to sort of give everyone the benefit and i'm going to hope that it's not nearly as nefarious as i'm afraid it is and it is in fact you know perhaps lighthearted. I, I don't know um but it when i figured that out and i i like I said, it, it changed how I was going to talk about this. And I'm not even particularly comfortable having this conversation even amongst my myself with you guys. But that's where we are. And, you know, it's something that needed to be addressed. And, you know, for the most part, I absolutely love this song. I just hope it's not, you know, a, you know, whatever, a, a machismo, sour grapes, butt-headed sort of thing. I don't think it is, but I hope it's not. So moving on from there, we get to I'm Still the Same. This has a very, very serious keyboard intro. And then we get into, you know, here again, I guess Asia figures they have a sort of off, off balance a little bit. So they're going to throw in sort of a Ben Folds jellyfish vibe. What? Huh? So this comes off as a very, very light song that you would not normally expect from this. But it is, it's just fun to hear these guys play a song like this, you know, because it's, you know, it, it sounds like they're having fun. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, it, there's so much about this record that's unexpected. And this, this track is definitely one of those. And, and then there, there comes, there was a time. And now we have prog time, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, you know, I think in, in these records, this is one of those instances where the sort of the prog genetics of this band sort of just naturally bubble through. John Wetton's voice is absolutely perfect. Um, and the, the song, the, the verses has sort of a, a medieval ballad sing songy feel about them, almost a minstrel feel, if you will. And you've got Steve Howe's acoustic and Jeff Downs piano interplay in the beginning. And that is just exceptional, um, you know, throughout his career and, you know, I'm seeing this now as we're we're dealing. You know, we're 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 getting ready on the uh, the regular palaver to deal with the the rest of the Yes catalog post nine zero one two five, and you know, I, I just I've developed such a huge admiration for Steve Howe, and especially when he's on an acoustic guitar, and he's 
he's interacting with other musicians. Oh, it's just, it's so, so good. And then at, uh, at about four minutes, the groove picks up, which is very, very nice. And then at five minutes into this song, we have, and I wasn't really expecting this, but if we go back to, to where the palaver all started with Marillion and the concept of the mantra, this was, this was one of Ken's sort of observations. Here in There Was a Time, we have a mantra, and it's the line, there will come a time for you. It's repeated four times, which you only need three to have a mantra, so we have four, so we've got a, like, you know, a super mantra, and John Wedden is just destroying it at this point. Um, absolutely, absolutely stunning great way to end the song so very very cool very into that one and very much enjoy it i believe is a very straightforward rocker and it should have been a single in my opinion and then the album finishes up with uh don't want to lose you now and it has a very you know a an Oasis vibe, or maybe even, you know, more original than that, maybe a Beatles vibe to it. I don't know that this is a great way to end the album, but, you know, it, there, there's nothing terrible about it. It just, it, I don't think this song is particularly as strong, perhaps, as some of the others that we have. So that brings us to the end of... Omega. Again, this was a very, very surprising album for me, but once I got my brain around it, I was on board. And, you know, I think there are great tracks on all three of these, but I, I if you asked me, I would probably say that Omega, I think, is, is probably my favorite complete album in terms of these three. So that moves us to Triple X, and my understanding is that the Triple X is meant to signify the 30th anniversary of the release of the first album. And it begins with Tomorrow the World, and so this is another example of Fast Asia. They are moving at this point, although not right away. So we get this uh, sort of plaintive piano intro, and it's along with some uh, some string synth going on there. And it's a great, great lead-in, um, you know, going from the piano into the, the, the synth strings. And it's sort of, you know, it's, it's a great way to open up the album. It, it, it sort of eases you in and everything else. And then Steve Howe comes in and he's, he's sort of, he's building on top of, of what Jeff's doing. And then, boom you get that abrupt end and now we've got this blistering tempo absolutely blistering carl palmer's playing his face off at this point and uh jeff comes in with a a very buggles keyboard line which totally cool absolutely on board with that and then um you know steve howe just absolutely slays it on this record or on this track um He's, he's, the solo section is phenomenal. He's, he's absolutely on fire 
in terms of his playing throughout this. He's got just one of those phenomenal Steve Howe tones that we all love. So, you know, this this album or this song really, really opens up the album, gets in your face and says, hey, we're here. We're still kicking ass. The second song is Bury Me in Willow. This is a very, very interesting song. One that I probably would have, and I probably did, sort of gloss over in the beginning. Um, and, and it's it's unexpected. And at first blush, you, you think it's sort of a, a throwaway song. It's not very deep, but it turns out to be surprisingly so. And... Um, the chorus just gets stuck in my head and I, I can't get rid of it. It's absolutely phenomenal. No religion, um, very straightforward rocker. Again, more phenomenal work from Steve Howe. His guitar tones on this record, you know, they're just, they're absolutely spectacular. When we get to Gravitas, the one thing, you know, that, that sets Sam apart from Steve is the tone. And, and you know, nothing against Sam. His playing is very, very good, but his, his guitar tone on that record is nothing at all like Steve has here. So then we go into Faithful, and I swear I keep waiting for AHA's take on me to start um, with this keyboard intro. I, I haven't played them side by side, but every time I hear it, all I can think of is is the beginning of that, which makes me kind of laugh a little bit. I think the um, the stray dog metaphor that John uses here is very interesting, but I like the uh, the overall sentiment, so I'm on board with that. It the song does pick up at the guitar solo again, so you know I'm, I'm kind of on board with that. Then we get to our you know, maybe our second gem, if we consider tomorrow, the world, the first, but I know how you feel. Um, the feeling of this song is phenomenal. All of the different ones that are presented here. Um, they just, they move me all the different perspectives and, and, and everything else. And, and sort of the, the ambiance that is, is established here. And this becomes, so, you know, all, all the different, um, the, the, the mood here is, is very, very strong and it's building and it, and it kind of goes on throughout. And on this, the CD that I have, it has the bonus track of I Know How You Feel Midnight Mix, which basically just sort of strips down a lot of the the, the aspects of the music and, and really just focuses on Wetton's vocal delivery for the most part. And it, it really, you know, it, much like the, the two versions of, um, oh gosh, I forget the track on Sarah McLaughlin's Fumbling Towards Ecstasy. But there's, there's two versions of that, that track, one with the full band accompaniment and one that just has her and a piano. And, and both songs are, both versions are equally powerful. I think that's what you get here with this. So that, that's a big highlight for me. Uh, Face on a Bridge, you've got a very interesting Super Tramp opening. 
And then we move into Elgato Nero. Oh, man. How is this a good song? And, and not only is it a good song, it's a great song. The, the question and answer chorus is, you know, the first time you hear it, you're like, what? Why are they doing that? That's just kind of goofy. But by the third time or fourth time that you hear it, you're singing along and you absolutely love it. Um, you know, and, and vocal, Wetton's vocal line and, and rhyming in this is, it's crazy. And, but it's, it's crazy catchy is what it is. And so, you know, the more I listen to this now, when I, I get excited, I look forward to El Gato Nero really really well done and then um we go into judas and ghost of a chance judas is very very straightforward i don't really have a whole lot to say about that but i do find that ghost of a chance has grown on me tremendously um it was one of those things where first couple listens i was like yeah whatever um i kind of wanted to get to the I know how you feel midnight mix but ghost of a chance i think is a super duper strong song it's got a beautiful beautiful opening and when the full band kicks in uh it's it's really really very moving and we have absolutely classic steve howe here and then we already talked about the midnight mix of i know how you feel so this album extraordinarily strong as you would expect. And I think, you know, these two albums are much, in, in some ways, much more closely related to each other than either of them is to Phoenix. And, and I, that's what I, I really kind of have come to like about this sequence of albums. The fact that, again, maybe, I, I don't know what it was. It was because I hadn't heard them or whatever else. Um, you know, the, these albums took me in a, in a place I wasn't expecting to be. And so I, I absolutely admire them for that. And I find that I love the place that they took me. So, you know, I was totally on board. And I was very curious then to see where they go with, with Gravitas. Because again, you've got the three of them, but you're swapping out Steve Howe for Sam Coulson. And apparently Sam had come highly recommended and, and this, that, and the other thing. But I've spent a lot of time on this podcast and talking about Asia in particular, gushing about Steve Howe and the magic of Steve Howe and what Steve Howe brings. So, you know, anyone trying to replace Steve Howe, they got a lot to deal with. And so, you know, when I, I can only imagine what it was like, well, it was the same way with me, actually, because, you know, I'd listened to this last I knew there was a new guitarist and I was very, my ears were open. I was paying attention to see who is this Sam Coulson? How is he going to come across? How is he going to fit into, you know, the, the absolutely beautiful and fantastic things that this band has been doing for the last three albums. And so they start us off with Valkyrie. Now Valkyrie has a much slower tempo tempo than we are used to from this incarnation of Asia. 
And the way that the, the song and the album starts, there really isn't necessarily a strong indication of a new guitarist, and really until the solo. Um, you know, the, the guitar part here is fairly simple nondescript if you want to use that word and given you know some of the behavior that we'd seen from steve howe on the last couple albums you know steve could have done that absolutely but when you get to the solo now suddenly you know it's your first real opportunity to get a close look at sam sam is good but his style and his tone are certainly different from steve howe so, you know, but to his credit, and I think to the credit of Jeff and John, the way this album is written, the way it's mixed and everything else, it's, while it's obvious that it's not Steve Howe, you know, I think it's, it's not, it's not that big of a deal, honestly. Um, you know, Sam, Sam really holds his own through this. And I was very, very pleased to see that. Like I said, he his tone is totally different. It sounds completely different. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, the, the guitar parts are probably written similarly. And maybe, you know, Sam interprets them differently than, than certainly Steve would. But, you know, Steve, as I mentioned, you know, at the top of this episode, Steve, by this point, had sort of developed a an asia personality and i think that personality is more easily translatable to another guitarist so you know i, I think they did they did a really good job of sort of in integrating the the new guitarist it was it was perhaps less jarring than when when al took over on uh, on astra this this track is is very haunting the, the cello is cool, and knowing, you know, that, that the Valkyrie is what it's, it's a, a Norse spirit guide, if you will, that, that comes and, and takes the spirits of the departed. You know, once I, I figured that out and I was, I was paying attention, and you have sort of the, the standard hospital voiceover that's mixed very low at the end of all of this, and it just, it, creates you know it, it kind of a spooky vibe so it's it's a very it's it's a positive and it's a peaceful song because this person who's passing away is you know the the valkyrie is coming to to guide them but at the same time someone's passing away it's very sad um so you know i i i I like songs like that that sort of make me think, make me a little bit uncomfortable, maybe. So I, I think it's it's a really really great great track here, great way to to open the album. And then we move on to the title track, Gravitas. And now all of a sudden, uh, Sam Coulson is front and center. So you know we we get to to spend more quality time with him. And again, we understand that he is not Steve Howe, and we're okay with that. Um, you know, Jeff has an awesome, awesome organ sound in this song. Absolutely spectacular. 
Um, love it. The closer I get to you. I just like Jeff Downs on a piano. I think he's really, really effective when he's just on a piano. Um, I like Jeff's playing anyway. You know, again, I, I've said it before and I'll probably say it again. Jeff has a certain Goldilocks character about his playing. He, he plays what's required and makes it interesting enough without it being overwhelming or bombastic. And, um, yeah, I think he, he does really well on a piano. John's voice is, it's, it's a little different here, but it's very, very smooth. Absolutely love it. Nyctophobia. It's one of those things where you, you, you pick up the album and you, you're looking at the track list and you're going, what? And this is, you know, much in the way that Emily was. This is another absolutely amazing song because this song is phenomenal. It's silly. And the fact that the verse is nyctophobia, which is being afraid of the dark, for those of you who don't know. But, and that's all the chorus is. It's, it's nyctophobia sung in a round. And I absolutely love this chorus. Oh, I could sing it all. In fact, I do. I go around work sometimes just singing it once it gets stuck in my brain. Um, so I don't know why this song is, is good, but it really, really is. So, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where they're able to take something that should be absolutely unendurable and make something spectacular out of it. Nyctophobia is really one of my, one of my favorites on this. Russian Dolls, a very, very sort of a, it, it's, it's a, it's a song with a lot of sort of emotion and ambiance to it. Very, very cool. It's, uh, it's beautiful and it's haunting. And here again, we have a wonderful sort of interplay between the organ and the bass. Um, absolutely love it. Heaven Help Me Now, the intro has a very, very classic feel. Um, And then I don't have any notes here for I Would Die For You. Now, Joe DiMaggio's glove. Again, the second thing you notice when you're going through the track list before you even open the record is this one. After nyctophobia, you're like, what? And you have to go look, look up to see what the hell nyctophobia is. Now you've got Joe DiMaggio's glove. Now, it's not often that rock songs or progressive rock songs in particular start mentioning sports and so joe dimaggio's glove is um you know you're like what is this all about and it's interesting you know how that gets worked into the song you know it should be it should be clunky but john makes it work because it's a very interesting metaphor he's asking you know how did my heart get so soft like Joe DiMaggio's glove, you know? And, and it's just, it's weird to make a, a sort of romantic metaphor out of, out of a baseball glove. But there you have. I think in this song, 
John is doing his best Greg Lake impression, at least that's how I interpreted it. And the song as, as, a, as a whole has a very Cats in the Cradle vibe to it. And then Till We Meet Again, um, John does the anthem thing wonderfully. It's got a very, very poignant lyric. Um, I, and, and there's a line in here where he says, I will be with you in spirit and you will know. I just, I absolutely love that. That brings us then to the end of this series on Asia. Uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm somewhat limited when I do this by myself, but I did want to at least go through these and have something out there to, you know, perhaps, um, you know, spark some conversation. So if there are if there are aspects to these albums that that you really like or that really really resonate with you, you know, I encourage you to reach out and uh, and and let me know, let us know, and you know, we can have sort of the conversation in the open after that. But I did, um, you know, again, I, I for me personally, it was important to go through these 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 albums, this entire Asia catalog, and at least you know, contemplate it a little bit. I know that um, you know, again, my vocabulary when I'm on my own is is in certain ways um, limited. But hopefully, we at least get the flavor for it. And again, we, we can start the conversation above and beyond this. And, and to that end, I encourage, you know, any thoughts or, or comments that you may have for this, you know, reach out, reach out to, uh, to us. We are available on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are at Progpala at all of those. Or you can find us by searching for Progressive Palaver. You can also email. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. And, you know, like I said, I would just, I would love to hear, you know, what you think about these albums. I, I find them to be very, very, very enjoyable. And, you know, this whole exercise has been something more than I expected. And I'm very, very glad I did it. So I enjoy sharing with you guys. Um, Progressive Palaver is, as always, available for download and subscription on both iTunes and Google Play. And we are hosted on SoundCloud. And so uh, our next episode, we'll see the return of the Progressive Palaver to the Yes catalog as we look at the rebirth of Yes, if you will, in 1983 with 90125. So until then, thank you all for listening.